In a land far away, once upon a time, Brendan, Vicky B, partners in crime. We danced through life like, like a couple of gays. But as time went by, we went our separate ways. Now we're back together, talking about whatever. Talking about the music that, that we, we love forever. Hooking you up like a telephone chat. Everybody listen up, we're getting back on track. Hey everyone, this is Brendan. And this is Vicky B. And we're back with Back on Track. Yes, holla, we're here to guide the gays down memory lane for our own favorite musical moments. Today, we are talking about girl groups. You know, Vicky, I've had so much fun doing these with you, and my question today is, what is a girl group? Oh my goodness, that's tough. A girl... <laughs> It's a it's a it's a it's a clique of chicks. They they got together completely randomly by fate, assembled by fate. They're best friends always. They get along great, and they make music together, and they never break up, and nothing ever goes wrong. Everyone, that's what we call sarcasm. sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, I mean, there is this reputation about girl groups that they're just catty, and it's the whole woman thing mm-hmm. um, that you know women can't work together, and it's really um, it's really terrible. We're, you know, we're going to talk today, I think, about some of the ones that break the mold and there are a few that fit right into the stereotype too. Yeah, but it's what's great about those ty- that type of drama is that we get to see them succeed and we root them on and they become they're our homegirls, they're our friends. Like we know these chicks. Absolutely. And the reality is, I mean, in everyone's lives, there are people life isn't black and white. You're not friends and enemies. You have ups and downs and it's much more of a gray area. You have moments where you're you know, creatively vibing and making beautiful music and you have moments where you want to stab someone in the eye. But through it all, you you put your struggle and your experience into your artwork and you create something more beautiful than the sum of all the parts to present to the world that everybody gets to enjoy. And I think that's where these these chicks get it right. I think so too. I think the other interesting thing that we're going to be thinking about today is um, how so many of uh, the girl groups that we know and love, there's, there's a real business behind girl groups. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, from the start of, of the vaudeville acts you had, the sister acts um, with the different ones, and then you get into the doo-wop and Motown and then, you know, all of the R&B and then you have British Invasion. There's just a lot of it was about, frankly, men making money off of selling these ladies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and a, lot of, a lot of money. I mean, a lot of these girls that we're going to be talking about, some of them can't make ends meet today. There's, there's a lot of bad deals and a lot of lessons to be learned inside and out of the studio. You know, and the irony of them, some of them experiencing their greatest success, you know, winning Grammys, you know, multi-platinum mm-hmm. albums, and going through struggles behind the scenes that we never even get a chance to see. Absolutely. And I think that must be so hard to to be just like you're saying at the sort of peak of your creative and artistic life and you sort of get what you want, that brass ring, and then you come to find out it's a little less uh, desirable than maybe what you thought. True that. Well, they're a lot of fun, too, despite all the drama and the snares That's and the true. bankruptcy. It's a lot of fun. They're party jams, you know? <laughs> That's Those are my favorite group or, songs. Or Heartbreaker. Done Me Wrong. Done Me Wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we should get to it then. So give it to me, Vicky. Well, I want to talk to you about a little group called Total. Total. Okay. Kima, Keisha, and Pam. That's Kima Raynor, Keisha, Spivey, and Pamela Long. Um, they're a New Jersey trio. They were signed to Bad Boy Records. They've just started to get back together. This is one of those successful stories. Like, okay, wait. So rewind, rewind, dial it back. Give me an era. I, I got New Jersey. That's the place. Right, right. This is like 1995, like 94, 95. They just started to really blow up around the 95, 96 era. And they had their last big hits around the 99 era. They did a lot of work with 
Puff Daddy, Missy Elliott. They were always guessing on 112 songs, Mace. Um, you know, they were in background in like Aaliyah videos and things like that. Uh, Ladies Night, you know, with um, with Angie Martinez and Left Eye. Um, they were always on the scene, very, like late 90s. Yeah, so there's a trio. They're spitfire. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the, they were the chicks that were going to drive your getaway car if you had just robbed a bank. You know, <laughs> And that's why I love them. That They made their debut um, with their first single, Can't You See, in 90, uh, 1994, featuring Notorious B.I.G. They sung a lot of his hooks for his albums and things like that. And I think they did a song with Mace, uh, Tell Me What You Want, where they sung the hook for his song, too, from Mace. So they were, they were all up in the rest. Boys. So what's the track for the list? The track for the list is called Tripping. It's a Missy Elliott and P. Diddy collaboration. Um, it had a really innovative video that I just love where they do a lot of shots from beneath. They're dancing around and stuff like that on um, like plexiglass and they're shot from underneath. So there's things oh, like that. one of the chicks is in the bathtub and the water is spilling over the edges of the bathtub onto the floor. It's really dramatic, um, really stylized. And I think that the whole frame is act- it's actually like a square frame, the whole video. Miss Yelly is in the she's a bitch phase where she's got that um, asymmetrical shroom for days, like that, that mean <laughs> asymmetrical shroom that she was rocking and it was swaying from side to side and she's wearing like a suit in the video and she's going nuts. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're real spitfire. They're real scrappy and that's why I like them. Um, they, they actually, they've been rejoining throughout 2014 and now going into 2015 at sporadic dates including last year's Soul Train Awards uh, where they did Ladies Night with Little Kim. Oh, and they, that yeah. was them. Yes, yes. That's, okay. who, that, <laughs> that's who that was. All right. Um, they brought Left Eye up on the screen. Yeah, I just, I just YouTubed that the other night. It was legendary. Yeah. All, and th- this has a lot to do with something really relevant right now that's going on with Missy Elliott coming back out onto the public eye slowly. It's true. And new, like, these kids acting brand new like that don't know who Missy Elliott is and is what I was real nice of Katy Perry to throw this new artist a bone and yada 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 well you can't really I mean what's interesting about Missy you can't really blame them is that you know she she was so prolific and was producing and creating tons and tons of music but you know there was really only a brief moment where she was the star herself I think she's always been much more about the work than about um, you know the, than, the, than the fame and everything so mm-hmm. I think it really also just speaks to her work ethic I don't think it's like shady yeah well she's she's a different kind of celebrity mm-hmm. I mean I would say probably about 60% 60 to 70% of the, the songs that I have on this list today are either written by her or produced by her or she was a mentor. They were her protégés. She has had her hands ever since around um, 1995, 96 with um, the the release of Aaliyah's follow-up mm-hmm. to Age Ain't Nothing But a Number, One in a Million, the song that Missy Elliott wrote. Ever since being a writer and producer for that album, she had Genuine, she had Total. Um, then she started working with Monica, uh, Brandy, everybody. You know, she does as much work behind the scenes writing these amazing um, harmonies um, and these songs, Mm -hmm. uh, Lil Mo. um, I mean, like the list, just a tweet. It goes on and on and on and on. Um, but yeah, no, she's she's always been a different kind of artist. She's always been ahead of her time. She's always trying to do something new. And I think that that's what she's struggling with right now is that she wants to be an underdog again. She wants to be... 
she wants to be brand new. She wants to to have the odds against her and, and come out fighting with something brand new. To yeah, kick. absolutely. What do you got for me, Brandon? Well, I think what I wanted to talk about, sort of taking it back a little bit, is um, I wanted to talk about the uh, the Supremes. Yeah, Miss Diana Ross, Miss Mary Wilson, Flo, and then a whole bunch of others that I don't know, <laughs> and they're probably upset about it. Um, but so the, the the song for me is "You Keep Me Hanging On" because that for me was everything. <laughs> Just to back up with the Supremes, I mean, I think what's really interesting um, is so many of these girl groups are um, African American, uh-huh. are black women. And what was really interesting at the time, I think, it wasn't really the Supremes weren't the first ones, but they were of the era where you finally had, this is my impression anyway, but you finally had um, a situation where black musicians and black performers, their work, um, which traditionally had been appropriated by white people, like, you know, Elvis taking something and what have you, finally, you know, they were able to, I mean, I don't know if this is good or bad, I guess it's good in the long run, but by sort of uh, following white standards of beauty and making um, themselves a little bit more aligned to what was considered mainstream at the time, they were able to actually put themselves out there as the vehicle, as the performers of this music that was of the culture. And I think um, it was a real shift in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, and the Supremes, I think, far and away are you know the most famous and successful of the era yeah. um, and really changed the game. I mean, so many of the girl groups that we're going to keep talking about, I think, are referencing or following in the footsteps of the Supremes. So they may to break through in a way that like the Crystals and the Chiffons and the Ronettes and things like that weren't, you know, they had their hits here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that whole Ellie Greenwich machine that was going on. Um, but what do you think it was about the Supremes that gave them the ability to bust through? Well, I mean, you had Barry Gordy. Which mm-hmm. there's just no – I mean th- there's no uh, way for anyone to deny the the power that he was able to wield um, with Motown. And then you know, whether it was legit or whether it was right or wrong, whatever, um, he got those artists on the radio and he got them heard. Um, you know, and even making the choice to put Diana in the lead, I mean I think that was something that – that was sort of happening beyond the awareness of even the group. They were sort of being driven a certain direction. I don't even think – they were really aware of what was going on, but certainly they were being guided. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think that they were able to uh, to break through in that way. Um, so that goes up on the whiteboard then having a gigantic like music mogul at the back at the yeah. helm sort of like gently steering the ship. Yeah. As the as the lead. Well, and there's many more, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but he's certainly one of the most famous. And what's interesting is, you know, despite all the scandal, he's still sort of successful in doing his thing. I mean, it's kind of shocking. And this is, again, speaking to just, you know, gender in America. But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is I don't know that um, – I don't know that a woman who had done what he's done would would be able to sort of go into old age so unscathed. Mm-hmm. Unscathed. You might be right. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I was listening to this song in the car on mm-hmm. the on the highway in the West Side Highway. Which song? Uh, you keep me hanging oh, this on. Song. <laughs> yeah. 
And I was remembering the first the way that I experienced this song wasn't actually the Supremes version. It was the Kim, I think it was Kim Wilde version from the 80s that really like synth heavy, you know, yeah. like all well, kinds of explosions. Go. But that's it. It is explosive. And that's yeah. why I did pick the song. Getting away from the history of the Supremes. I mean, what was so great about the song is that, you know, you had this girl group. And although they always were a little bit um, being playful, it had a bit of a submissive tone their work before. I mean, Baby Love and um, Stop in the Name of Love even was, you know, Stop in the Name of Love is sort of, you know, it's it's an active phrase, yeah. but it was a, sort of performed in a very passive way before you break my heart. It's all about what's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And you keep me hanging on. It's like, you know, it's it's a sound the alarm moment. Those first chords happen and it's like, boom, mm-hmm. you know, we're coming through. And then like they walk down. I mean, that famous performance, I think it was Hollywood Palace. Um, but we can verify that. But there's this famous performance on TV where I think they essentially debuted the song, at least for the masses. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the three of them just strut down center stage to, with that music underneath them. And it's like, bitch, get out the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's and it's interesting now that that's been one of the qualities that resonates with most of the girl groups that we have here. I mean, I was thinking when, when you said about about female empowerment, that there's a song and I can't remember the name of the girl group that did it. God help me. But it's called He Hit Me and It Felt Like a Kiss. Ooh. I mean, you were talking about like, you know, coquettish, demure, sort of like my experience as a function of a man. And I mean, like, yeah, so you take that on one side of the record and then you flip it and you've got Diana Ross and the Supreme strutting downstage. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And which direction do you think was the one that resonated with the people? <laughs> That's all I have to say. Right. All right. Let's, <laughs> let, let's move on. We're going to advance beyond uh, the 60s and 70s. What's next? I want to talk about, okay, this group is... We were talking about Kim Wilde and we were talking about the whole 80s experience with the, you know, getting into freestyle and techno and, you know, the the response to disco. Expose. Does anybody remember Expose? Oh, my gosh. Of course. I, I fell in love with these girls. Um, it, the funny thing about Expose is the the – lineup that we know now is actually a complete reworking of the original lineup. Originally, it was three completely different girls. They well, that, started in, in 1992. Go ahead. I'm sorry to pause you, but I think that is one of the other themes. Like, you know, powerful mogul might go on the whiteboard, but so does, like, the rotating lineup that mm-hmm. you aren't even sure what exactly happened. It's, like, very discreet somehow. Yeah. Um, they swap them in, swap them Smoke out. Smoke screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they started... Um, they stra- they started in the mid '80s with three girls that never they recorded. Um, uh, oh God, Point of No Return. They recorded Point of No Return, and then they got rid of those three original girls and came back with three of the girls that we're now more familiar with: Ann Curlis, Jeanette Girado, and Goya Bruno. Um, and they did redid Point of No Return over again. They came out with Exposure, their debut album. They were on the Apollo stage. They're blowing up the 80s pop charts and um, freestyle charts, Latin freestyle, R&B, you know. And there were this new there was this new flavor going on in the music scene when they were when they were gigantic. And um, the song that I chose is called I Specialize in Love. It's 
it's got all of these silly uh, medical metaphors in it, but it's actually a remake of Sharon Brown's 1982 number two Billboard Hot Dance Club play. Um, it's a remake, and Expose brought the song back to number six in 1995. Um, this is a remix of the song, the version that I put on the uh, on the playlist from their 1992 album Expose, which. This album, the reason why I chose this song and this album is because it re- features a reworked grouping. Uh, Goya Bruno was having pr- uh, problems while she was on tour with her vocal cords, and so she had to leave the group, and they thought that she wasn't going to be able to sing again. So they brought in this new girl named was Kelly Moneymaker, and they came- – <laughs> I know, right? Hold on. <laughs> they brought in somebody named <laughs> Kelly Moneymaker. <laughs> OK. Sorry. We just had to take a moment. Pause. So – and <laughs> speaking of Moneymaker, they brought in Diane Warren. There she that and is a moneymaker. They wrote about four or five uh, contemporary ballads to put on on the album, and all of a sudden, Expose went from being this Latin freestyle group to being this contemporary balladry uh, group. So that's how they were able to break the mainstream in terms of being on the radio. But what I loved about this album was on the other side, there were like all of these house tracks. Okay, there, were, there was this producer called DNA who produced um, a song by Suzanne Vega called Tom's Diner in 1990. I don't know if you remember that. Nope. I think it's that da 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 Oh da, my gosh. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. I said nope way too quickly. His his stuff had a lot of that, you know, that early house stuff that I just lose my mind mm-hmm. over with a lot of samples of like old TV shows and things like that and he would throw them in, you know, like this one's for you or let's break down or let's go back, you know, like thrown into the mix so you're dancing and all of a sudden there's a cut uh-huh. and then it comes right back, which yeah. is kind of big now, like kind of cutting away. Absolutely. You know. So, yeah, I got to give a big shout out to Expose and especially that album Expose Expose from 92. I love them. I think what's also great about the expose reference is there was just that moment where there were lots of girl groups and it seemed like they just opened up the dictionary and like pointed at a word. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if there was a nice hard consonant and then maybe an accent at the end, that was that was it. That was the that name. That might be true. But what I will say about this group is that they're all individually talented. And the cool thing about instead of it being like Miss Ma'am and the Miss Mammies like behind her, it's like <laughs> – You know what I mean? It's like three hot ladies that can all individually hold their own as a lead vocalist and seeing the way that they interact and jump off of each other. It's like, oh, wow, any of these girls could sing any of these parts at any one time. And it's it's crazy that we're actually sitting here and saying this, but that's not always necessarily the case. People make it all the way up to number one and not have any idea around, you know, the way around the studio. One thing I was just thinking, um, you know, we're big fans, of course, of RuPaul and Michelle Visage. Mm -hmm. And um, the other day I was looking at um, I don't know why, but I was looking up seduction for some reason, probably because she talks about oh, it nonstop. Um, it's not on the playlist, folks, although maybe it should be. I don't know. Maybe we'll add something. You're my one and only true love. <laughs> um, but I didn't realize, because again, I'm not really, I don't follow that much. Um, I didn't realize that in the in the more recent relaunchings of seduction, how they just, you know, have some, you know, girl who sort of vaguely looks like Michelle did back then. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? To step in, yeah, and take her place and sing but, her but, leads. But like really trashy looking. I mean, I know Michelle's like <laughs> funny trashy looking, but she's like – it looks like a Vegas situation. Well, isn't it funny about how what was trashy in like the late 80s and the early 90s, you know, like they're they're wearing jackets with shoulder pads but with booty shorts or or they're wearing a mini dress that, but it's like full coverage. Right. You know what I mean? And what was scandalous and skanky back then is like so – it's like complete, completely demure. They'd be like what kind of weight problem are you trying to – Cover up wearing that big old shroud, honey. That's that. Well, there's so many directions I could go from that one, but um, the one I want to talk about, funny outfits, is of course the Pointer Sisters. Okay, very near and dear to me. Um, they are 
the be all end all for me of an 80s really i think in the 70s is when they started but um the 80s is sort of the era i most enjoy um but uh the one that is the best for me is dare me Baby, make your move. Pointer on lead vocals, Ruth and Anita on backup. Um, fun fact, it's the only Pointer Sisters track to hit number one on the dance chart. I read that. All right. Yeah. Um, so for me, I just – I really love the synth percussion blend and then there are these just drum beats that are 80s nostalgia heaven. They're, they're the best. Um, for those who aren't as familiar, I think they've actually been around since 1969. Um, they've kept the group in the family. Originally, you know, it was three sisters. They rotated a few sisters. Then they added a daughter and now it's a granddaughter. Oh, Lord. So Three generations of pointers. It's Ruth, Anita, and Ruth's granddaughter. So um, I don't know how that looks on stage, but they're 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 taking checks. How do they know. sound when you were able to when you were able to interact with them? They sounded sound? great, but when I saw it was the iteration where it was Ruth, Anita, and Ruth's daughter. Um, all three very lovely, all three great. But you have to imagine Ruth and Anita are you know not spring chickens Mm -hmm. and daughter I think Issa 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 I don't know how you say it I-S-S-A I think Issa Um, Issa I'll stop now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but she is, you know, she really, I mean, now she's pursuing her own solo career. So in this performance, right, she is jumping all around the stage, you know, full on booty squats and, you know, kicks and Ruth and Anita aren't doing all that. So that's a little bit weird because you've got these three women and they're not really on the same page in their performance style. But well, they're passing the torch. They are passing the torch and they're keeping it going, at least for now. So that's good. The thing that I love about, you know, Dare Me is it has this, you know, girl in charge feeling, a woman with her crew, and the video cannot be missed. The video is the best. They're in drag for half of it. Oh, wow. They are dressed as men, and they are in full-on suits and regalia, and they sneak into an all-men's gym, and they're, you know, trying to confront the object of their desire. And uh, then all of a sudden, they're in 80s crazy outfits and they're in the middle of a boxing ring. And then there's unison choreography in the gym where the Pointer Sisters are leading all of these, frankly, gay men through <laughs> this dancing in the gym. And then it wraps up with them in these gold ridiculous dresses that are the epitome of 80s Pointer Sisters and they're in a boxing ring performing a concert because apparently gyms double as concert venues. <laughs> I don't know. But it's it's heaven. It's it's worth the YouTube. Look it up. We're still, at that point we're still exploring the genre of the possibilities of the music video and where we can go and what we can do. Absolutely. And Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince set the bar really high so people kind of, there was some stretches back then. Yep. I do love this song. When I was listening to this song, it reminded me of that song um, called Ain't Nobody by Shaka Khan and Rufus. Oh, sure. It, I felt like it had a bit of the same sort of like uh, sentimentality and structure to it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I had never actually heard it before. But it turns out in addition to being number one on the dance charts, and it was like you said, it was their only song to do do so. It was also number one on the soul charts, which I thought was pretty hot. Yeah. And then also um, 
it was uh, immediately there's a there's a famous uh, track or like a, a sound recording of Casey Kasem doing Casey's Top 40 where at the end of this song as during the playoff he has some sort of like a, a verbal freak out where he gets really agitated because coming down from this energetic song they want him to do a dedication to this guy who just lost his dog or something like that so he goes off and starts swearing or whatever and it features like the outro from this song which I thought was a hilarious that's amazing I've never actually uh, heard that, but I'm sure it's YouTube-able. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I had a Pointer Sister song to throw on this list, yeah, it would be uh, Send Him Back. Send Him Back. From the, um, it's from the 70s era before before they went all 80s, you know, synth pop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really uh, – there, there's a, a remix out there by Sammy Bananas, uh, and I see this girl that I love to watch whack dancing to her, uh, to, to the Pointer Sisters, to Send It Back. It's a hot track if you could check it out. All right. I like it. <laughs> I'm going to check that one out. So I have a throwback, a little bit of a throwback of mine, but it doesn't throw back quite as far. Okay. Um, but my group is TLC. Oh, everyone. <laughs> side note. Yeah. Vicky lives for TLC. I do. I do. I'm sort of like – This whole this whole thing could have been TLC. It's true. It's true. I can't say enough about them. I just – I love the way that like they never wore a dress. They're always wearing pants. They're always wearing boots and, and, and combat boots and, and bubble jackets and, and they have a, a feminine style. But like it was interesting what you were saying about the Pointer Sisters. In order to be able to confront their, um, you know, their sexual interests, they had to adopt these masculine archetypes. But like TLC was like, no, we're women, we're chicks, and we're wearing big baggy sweaters and we're wearing big jackets. I was gonna say though, I mean, they did. I mean, what was so? I mean, there were many, many great things about TLC. But what really made them stand out was they really did play with gender politics quite a bit. And you're right, they did. They weren't trying to be men, but they certainly were also challenging the ideas of what it looks like necessarily to be a woman and owning your sexual power. And it was this great sex positivity mashed with the um, the, the social messaging of the early 90s around safe sex and around owning it your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was fun. It was exciting. It was colorful. It was fun. I always saw them as the sort of like female version of Belle Biv DeVoe, the, the offspring of, uh, of New Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, the song that I put on this mix is called Get It Up. Get it up So it wasn't one of their most gigantic hits. But this is always me with track six, track seven, track eight. (laughs) This song actually – it was originally uh, – by the time, it was written by Prince. And so with me, you can play Six Degrees of Prince all the time. There is not anything going on right now in the music industry that has not been like touched or like – uh, reared or mentored or whatever by Prince. And um, Prince has come out on stage several times saying that TLC was his favorite group. Uh, I can remember in about like 1996 when he was rec- going through his whole scrawling slave on his face and he was dealing with the contract uh, negotiation. He had, a, he had a problem with the contract that he signed with Warner Brothers Records. And he would stand up from the, his piano after doing one of his uh, one of his songs and say free TLC into the microphone. Right. And I'll never forget when TLC came out for I think it was the 1999 VMAs when they did No Scrubs, that like epic performance of No Scrubs where they did the Too Much Booty in the Pants Absolutely. dance. Absolutely. Yep. Um, 
Prince was there and he was promoting his album Raven to the Joy Fantastic with his wife, Maite Into, who is my she is like my spiritual like animal. You know what I mean? I live for this chick. She's a belly dancer, Puerto Rican. She's flawless. Anyway, Look it up. They're, they're, they're out there wearing matching iridescent blue uh, unitards introducing TLC. And I just it was like my worlds were colliding. I think it's worth reminding everyone what happened with TLC and their contract. I mean, it, 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 that group epitomizes so much of what we opened up the show with. Absolutely. Reared, arguably discovered, you know, they had first of all, they did have a, a, a lineup change. They used to have this chick named with named Crystal with them. And they were known as Second Nature. And then that wasn't working out. So uh, Pebbles uh, facilitated <laughs> facilitated a, a dancer, a backup dancer, uh, Rosanda Thomas, to join the group and see if they had chemistry. They hit it up. They hit it off. They started working with Jermaine Dupree in Dallas, Austin. They mm-hmm. started off, but a, they, they hit the big time with like baby, baby, baby. What about your friends? Go. What are you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think what that just for me anyway on the business side, what I think is so interesting is, I mean, th- that switch of, I mean, there's a lot of controversy on what sparked the switch of the singer in the mm-hmm. group, the third person. But, um, but a lot of it was because, you know, they were being forced to sign a contract by Pebbles that was horrific. And essentially, at least the story that I know of is that um, Crystal you know, wanted to take the contract home and review it. Mm-hmm. And they weren't going to have that. Pebbles said the contract can't leave their, you know, office or premises or whatever. It couldn't go for review. And so the other, you know, the other ladies, uh, T-Boz and Left Eye, signed it as and then they got Chili and she signed it. And as we all sort of know, they lost everything. Yeah. Well, there's another, I mean, I don't want to cut to it right now, but the, we have to put a bookmark on that idea, that moment of truth idea, because mm-hmm. En Vogue went through a similar situation, yes. which is what resulted in their, you know, the fracturing to how we now know them. Right. But a moment of truth where they had the opportunity to realize as artists what they're worth and um, and bring a negotiation to the table, you know, where they get the cut of what they're making rightfully mm-hmm. that they deserve. But they're held in, in, in this hostage scenario by a larger power that doesn't always necessarily have their best interests at the top of their priorities. Do you know what I'm saying? So they, they were a classic victim of this. I, I'll never forget when they were all – it was in – I think it was in uh, 1996 at the Grammys when they had just received all of those Grammys that they had won that year. They were at the top of their fame, the, the peak of their fame, and they were all in bad mood like being interviewed backstage talking about, well, this is what's up. We're bankrupt. We don't have any money. You know what I mean? And it's such a PR nightmare when something when, when artists decide to mutiny and it's a media frenzy. All of a sudden it's like, what is going on? Oh my God, we had no idea. And it's the only option you have left, I'm sure from their perspective. I, mean, I don't think it was totally calculated, but at the same time, you know, bring media to attention to it is all that you can do at that point in order to try and work your way out of it. I, all I knew is I was like, who would do this to my girls? Who would do such a thing? <laughs> so wait. So go back real quick um, and tell us again why the track that you picked embodied TLC for you. Because because it was a party record. It was fun. It was hype. It had a left eye rap in it because God knows there were plenty of songs that went mainstream with TLC that didn't include a rap w- with left eye. Or they'd cut it out for radio. Exactly. Or they'd edit in some other song that featured a rap with Left Eye that wasn't even the song that they were putting out, you know. And I always felt like I was always the biggest Left Eye fan. And I don't even just say this post her death. I always was. I I went to their concert. I went to the Crazy Sexy Cool Tour at Riverside Park, the same place that I saw Paul Abdul. At we, I went with my cousin. We went in the rain, and they were like, "Yo, who likes T Boz?" And they're like, Whoa. "Who likes Chili?" Whoa. And who likes who likes Left Eye? And I was like, "Ah!" 
<laughs> like scream, and they were like, "Oh, there must be some chicks out there that like left eyes." So they were clocking me all the way back in the day. Oh my gosh! But, no, I, I mean, I've always, be, I've always appreciated her spunk, her creativity, her contribution, and the fact that she's she's willing to take risks. It was her idea to dress them all up as pimps in the uh, in the red uh, the red light special video. She would come up with the the stage design ideas, wasn't the it, fan mail idea. Wasn't it Lisa who also did the tape and the condoms? Yeah, Lisa had a condom over her left eye. She had condoms on the to educate kids about safe sex. Right. It was AIDS was at the the height of its threat at that point. You know, we were seeing people dropping left and right, and it was increasing it amongst Black women. You know, in the African American community. So, getting the word out there for the kids on the street that we all we need to protect ourselves, and it's cool to talk about it. All the interludes in their album and everything stressed like I'm in control. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to write my own story. Yeah, you know. So this song, this song is from the Poetic Justice soundtrack, the the Janet Jackson, you know, uh, movie with Tupac Shakur, which you know culturally it's arguable of arguable influence, but it was still wonderful watching Janet Jackson cry in front of a mirror, listening to "I Never Dreamed You Live in Summer." Yeah, Summer. if you grew up in the era we did, you couldn't you couldn't have not lived through Poetic Justice. Yeah, well, yeah. it was her like big screen debut, right? You yeah, know? and she had these big old braids. Oh, and she was acting with the birth of Punani. First of all, that expression. <laughs> I know Kiki's like, yes, that's your girl. And the birth, the the birth of Punani making it into like mainstream slang. You know what I'm saying with that scene with uh, Tupac Shakur. Yeah, you know. Just to add one for me, I, TLC's on my list as well. They're you know they were hugely influential, and for me, maybe a little bit more. Um, uh, maybe a little bit more conventional, um, but you know, I really became a fan in the crazy, sexy, cool era, um, which is when I feel like they really catapulted to insane levels of success and fame. Um, but what I loved is I that album. I think I was just about you know ten years old or so, but I was dancing. Um, I was a young boy dancing with this group. They were all black women um, who were in high school, older than me. I was the only boy, the only white guy, the only white person, and um, I, I was really influenced by their music in this way that I'm still thankful for and appreciate today. Um, but the one for me from that album was not even track 6, 7, 8, I think it's like 14 or 15, but it, it was Switch. 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 Don't take no mess from nobody. Switch. If they act up, just leave them alone. Switch. Don't take no mess from Switch, which was the best because I also love Left Eye because really beyond all the reasons you just said, which were great, also just her talent, the the way she could rap and the and the way um, her voice could, you know, uh, wrap around the words and deliver. It was infectious. I remember, I mean, I would try. There's no way I could do it, but I, I in my head, I could in my mirror at home when no one was looking. <laughs> I certainly tried. Um, you know, it was it was the best. And uh, what's funny about Switch is I also think it's the perfect example of the power of sampling because I didn't consciously connect the dots when I was a little kid, but um Switch, of course, samples Mr. Big Stuff. Yes. Um, which was a song, as a young boy, I certainly loved <laughs> and knew very well. <laughs> and um, and so, of course, it makes sense that I would connect to those rhythms and that music. And, and uh, so I love that, too. It's the art of the sample. I love Switch. I love that whole album. That CD was my first CD. I got two CDs for my when I got my first CD player. I got <laughs> The Best of Sade and I got, and I got TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool. Wait. I didn't know we had this in common. So my first that I well I think I had I think I had CNC Music Factory like 
as like the actual first. But when I got my first, remember the stereo system you get with the two speakers on the side and the three disc changer with the two. Tape? Oh yes, yeah. So when I got my stereo for my room, which I was so excited about, um, I was around this age, ten, eleven, I'd say. The three CDs that lived in this thing, they were the three CDs I cherished with my life, were Crazy Sexy Cool TLC, Design of a Decade by Miss Janet and <laughs> Ray of Light by Madonna. Oh, yes. And those were the three CDs that were the soundtrack of that time in my life. Well, it was the soundtrack for everybody in that in that time of life. Well, at I least mean, for gay boys. Yeah, it's the truth. <laughs> well, that's what we're here to talk about, though. I mean, they it had is. a profound... They resonated with us for some reason. I mean, it sounds really corny and really stupid, but I used to have these dreams where I would go, like, swimming with TLC. Or, like, TLC would come over to my house and we would go get ice cream or something. And I think the whole... The, the way that their personal drama played out on Like the, burning down the house? Yeah. Listen, I could relate to that. I mean, like, I've wanted to throw some shoes on fire into a porcelain. Oh, well, it was a fiberglass tub, right? I've wanted to do that. But no, it's just the way that they the way that they played out, the, the way that they did not apologize about their flaws. They did not they didn't keep secrets. It was like it was all out on the table. They were real people going through real stuff. And I think that that's what everybody related to and resonated with. And like I said about Total being the chicks that were going to drive your getaway car, it was like, these girls, we're going to have your back. I remember there was a, while they were doing promo for Crazy Sexy Cool, this album that this track is from, um, T-Boss was saying that a fan had written to her and said, you know, I didn't didn't take my own life because that just wasn't something that T-Boss would do. You know what I mean? And I I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but it's just like these, we connected with them for some reason. Absolutely. You know, you felt that they were going to come to your defense if you were different, if you were, if you, you know, if you were out of the box or out of the group any, any way, it was like they were going to have your back. I don't know. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I want to circle back to your Prince uh, moment a second yeah. ago, Go. the six degrees of Prince, because um Guys, like uh, I was saying before, it's TLC and Prince for Miss Vicky. Those, yeah. are, the, those are the two. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to circle back to Prince because another one on my list, um, a little bit unexpectedly, but when I think of girl groups, I had to include it, is um, Manic Monday by The Bangles. Yeah. These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. about that I mean the personal connection to me was that I wasn't a huge fan of them I wasn't you know buying the music and following everything um, but I think that you know you couldn't have grown up in our youth without hearing Susanna Hoff's voice and it was it was just in everyone's life in fact I mean apparently because the tracks that she led on were the ones that were pushed out as singles I think that caused a lot of angst in the group mm-hmm. um, <laughs> following those stereotypes we hear about um, but Manic Monday this is fun was um in high school, we had morning announcements, and um, at the end of first period, you'd go through all of the different stuff, and then there would be like a fun song or two in between first period and second period. And almost every Monday, they'd play Manic Monday, and just for some reason, I'd hear it, and I felt like it was the perfect way to start the week, and it stuck with me ever since. But the Prince connection is, and you probably already know this, but I'm going to just throw it out there and you can elaborate, Um, (laughs) was that uh, Manic Monday was written by Prince and he gave him the song under a pseudonym, Christopher. And um, it was supposed to go to Apollonia 6, which Vicky can tell you all about. Um, The project was abandoned. And so then, you know, it actually... Uh, when it went to the Bengals, he gave it to them, and funny enough, it peaked at number two on the Hot 100 and couldn't surpass Prince's own Kiss, which was number one. 
Yeah. Well, he used to always go by all different kinds of pseudonyms because I think he didn't want his sort of his star to overshadow the the star of the protégés that he was rearing at the time. He wrote so many songs. I can't even – we could do a whole show about what Prince Prince wrote. I Feel For You by Shaka That Khan. would be a fun one. Yeah. I mean well, don't leave do it. it. Don't keep it to yourself okay. for now. We're going to yeah. do it. Well, anyway, the reason why he chose the pseudonym Christopher is because at the time he was uh, making his music for the movie per, uh, – I'm sorry, Under the Cherry Moon. Um, which was also starred Kristen Scott Thomas. That was her, I believe it was her film debut. It was shot in the French Riviera in black and white. It was the follow-up to Purple Rain. It was supposed to be gigantic, but critically, it was a big flop. Um, and he went, he took all of the purple and all of the, you know, the punk and all of that business and completely flipped it. He started wearing black and white. He started wearing suits. He cut his hair really short and people weren't feeling it so much. But the name of his character in that movie was a gigolo called Christopher Tracy. So he chose that pseudonym because he was basically playing that part as he was writing that song. Um, and I think the rumor is that Susanna Hoffs was his girlfriend at the time or they had hooked up or something to that effect. Sure. Um, he's always had uh, – <laughs> that that was probably a safe bet for a rumor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean like – and his list is quite extensive. Right. Um, and he usually does have a have a, a habit of making a, a point to give him an album or at least putting them on backup on a single of his. Do you know what I mean? Like anybody that he's with, I mean, there's there's moans from Kim Basinger in, in on the Batman album. You know what I mean? That which may or may not have been <laughs> taped live <on laughs> in action. Official, yeah, yeah, yeah authentic. Yeah. But um, but yeah, uh, I think he also always gravitates towards. Chicks that know their stuff, mm-hmm. chicks that are that that know their music. Um, I think that's why I think that's why he gravitated towards Susanna and 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 this and this group. This group, first of all, uh, has uh, Michael Steele from the legendary group The Runaways uh, le- uh, came into the Bangles, and so there's a lot of history there, a musicianship that also might be another reason why there was a lot of tension there because sure. you've got such strong songwriting and, and musicianship capabilities, but you've also got a yeah. lot of celebrity going on. Well, yeah, and then the Bangles certainly weren't um, – I mean this is true for many of the people we're talking about, but it wasn't just a combination of – you know. Um, performers who happened to audition to be in a in a band together. Right. They were legit musicians, to your point. Yeah. I think Susanna went on to – I think she went on to either marry or, or be partnered with a producer for Austin Powers. Um, and I think she was a music producer for the Austin Powers album. She was part of the band Ming-T yes. when, when – um, when Mike Myers put together uh, BBC, the song, the, you know, the lead single by the fake, <laughs> the fake group uh, Ming T, yes, yes. in the videos and things like that, it's cool to know that you got a bangle on stage with Austin Powers, yeah. like rocking it out. Yeah, it's perfect. I love it. Yeah, no, it's really funny about uh, Manic Monday. That was never. I never even knew about this song until so much later on. I always knew Walk Like an Egyptian. Of course, that was the big gigantic one. You know, with the hair and the you know the eyes, the you looking Absolutely. back and forth. I mean, that so iconic. Like. So legendary. No question. All right. Give me another one. Oh, you're going to hate me, but I keep going back. I keep going back to these 90s girl groups. Well, I mean, no one's surprised here. <laughs> <laughs> I like to talk about I like to talk about this group. Their name their name is Black, B-L-A-Q-U-E. Oh, yes. A.K.A. They were a blip in time, but they give it to me. They were. Well, they kept trying to come back, but they just couldn't get it back. And actually, the name of the song is Can't Get It Back. It was a 
self-fulfilling prophecy, the title of this song. Um, they're known overseas as Black Ivory, so they couldn't even get their name down. I mean, this is just th- – this group is an example of like it all of the things – It seems kind of offensive of a name, right? Black Ivory? Yeah, I don't know. Well, Ivory, first of all, is like – it's the tusks of well, elephants, thank right? Thank you, dear. I know what Ivory well, right. is. <laughs> That was a gigantic read, darling. Well, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I'm just saying I feel like in America you can't have like, you know, I don't know. It just it just feels like it's loaded with some racial tension. Well, AKA black whiteness or right. something. Right. Yes. I know. Exactly. Well, it had they had nothing to do with that. I will just say, but um their lineup as we knew them, I would like to say as we knew them was uh Shamari Fears, Brandy Williams, and Natina Reed. And Natina is actually the late Natina Reed. She died in 2012 in a tragic mm. car accident. But it, it's crazy. She's the cousin of Farrah Franklin from Destiny's Child. Oh, my Did gosh. Did you know this? Girl group connections. I know, right? Wow. That's the Six Degrees of Beyonce game right there. Shamari Fears, her last name is Shamari Fears DeVoe. She's married to Ronnie DeVoe of New Edition and Belle Biv DeVoe. I know, right? Atlanta, so, I'm telling you. Yeah, well, that's, it's Atlanta. And it's also, like, why couldn't they make it work? Well, they had so many different um, problems releasing the music, uh, negotiating contracts, and they had full albums ready to go, and then things would happen, that, uh, and they wouldn't be able to release it. You know, the iTunes comes out, and it gets really big in the mid-2000s. They release a, a track. It doesn't take off the way that they're expecting it to, so the record company gets cold feet. They decide that all the work that they did in the studio and all the money they pay the producers with, they're going to they're gonna take a step back and not risk paying for the promotion and paying to get it out there. So here we have artists that are talented and they've got their heart and soul, you know, digitized or, you know, on wax and there's nowhere to put it because the the record company pulls the plug. So, I mean, that could go up on the whiteboard absolutely. Sure. And the tracks that I like from this group usually wind up being the ones that weren't able to make it. And I, I've only been able to experience these tracks because of the internet, because of things like leaks or overseas releases and things like that. So this song, um, Can't Get It Back, it's from the album Blackout, which was meant to be released in 2002. They had a shot of video to it. The video got shelved. The album got shelved in the U.S., but it was released in Japan. So I think that that's – back in the day, there was all kinds of weird musical download things, which – I will say I only used when I couldn't buy them. Sure. It, domestically. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, Brendan and I have this conversation all the time on this radio show. And if anything resonates from that, is that like releasing albums or songs or singles overseas in Europe or in Asia and not in the United States when you've got fans that are waiting to buy? That's like a gigantic niche market. You used to have to go to places like Sam Goody or Media Play or, uh, you know, Virgin Megastore to go to the import section. Of course. No, I mean, it's, 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 that's when the, you know, the business intersects with the artistry, right? I mean, you can't help the, the fact that, you know, that's going to happen. It's so frustrating to imagine the red tape that, that gets, to, that these girls get wrapped up in when yeah. they really just want to release good music. Anyway, the song samples, uh, We're Going to a Party by Evelyn Champagne King, who is famous for that song, Love Come Down. Okay. And Shame, also the original version of Shame, not the Jean A version of Shame from a low down, dirty Shame. Letting um, you know. The original version. I'm just making sure that you've got it straight. Thank um, you. And I noticed this song reappear when Toni Braxton, when she came out with the album Pulse in 2010, um, that song Make My Heart. She had a little bit of like a club song. It was really crunk at the beginning and it's got the same sample at the beginning. So I was like, oh, okay, wow. She must have listened to Black and decided that she liked the sample. 
Also, um, the song was produced by Salam Remy, who was the producer of songs like Here Comes a Hot Stepper, uh, Fuck Me Pumps by Amy Winehouse, and Bust Your Windows wow. by uh, Nicole Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Jasmine Sullivan. Oh. Um, Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a gigantic producer. So that's also of note about this track. And this... Another thing that I feel like is a gigantic injustice, they took this track. They didn't release it in the United States on Blackout. They gave it to a girl group, a British garage girl group, Mystique, in 2003. And they modified the song and rewrote it and let Mystique. Do you remember Mystique oh. Scandalous from the Catwoman movie? Remember when they were playing the basketball? No, I, I chose to ignore the <laughs> Catwoman movie. <laughs> See, my life was hinging on that movie. I know, but I, I knew fell it was going to be cliff. bad. I, I was so disappointed. I I, that movie was... was Wrapped in, I mean, so much development hell. Yeah, and it turned into something. Completely we're gonna, different. you know, we're we're still we're still young enough that we're gonna get the uh, the female driven uh, comic book movies that we deserve. It's happening. I think it's going to happen. Funny story. My sister and I used to pretend to do a radio show together, and she would be Danny DeVito as as a. As the penguin, and I would be Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. So I'm kind of having like a 360 degree moment right here. A 360. Yeah, I'm sort okay. of like I'm embodying Michelle Pfeiffer as like patent leather Catwoman. Talking about black. Talking um, about black. <laughs> my my, I, I this was I think the song that they had the most success with. But I always enjoyed that song, "Bring It All to Me," mm-hmm. um, partially because it featured J.C. Chazé, who we love, and who never got his slice of the pie. As far as I'm, but we're going to talk about that in another episode. Another episode. Do you have somebody that you want to throw down, darling? There are so many, and I'm nervous about our time, but I'm just going to go through. I'm going to mention one really quickly. Um, it's a more recent one, but it's it's a song that I'm just addicted to. Um, but it is Damaged by Dan V. Kane. When we talk about business and the business of girl groups, this was a real meta moment for those of you who don't remember Danity Kane or don't know who they are. Um, you know, manufacturing girl groups is nothing new, but uh, Diddy had the idea to have a meta moment and create a reality show about putting together the fake ish slash real band and um, they tried to be real anyway and um, this was actually the third season where Indemnity Kane was put together I actually didn't really watch the show it was I thought really not great Um, (laughs) and I don't know I mean I didn't think it was great but they were able through his connections I'm sure and others by the time Danny Kane was finally formed um, they were able to get some decent music Um, they were able to hook up with some good producers and some of their tracks were really fantastic despite the fact that the group seemed kind of a mess weird fact aside did you realize that their name was came do you know where the name came from I don't I read and this could be totally false because it's per Wikipedia but I read that um Band member Don Richards created and drew an anime character named Danny Kane that became the inspiration for the name of the group. Oh, that's cool. Strange, right? Multi talented Don Richards. They're projecting like this powerful female yeah, image. I guess so. Um, anyway, I just feel damaged is amazing. If you don't know it, you've got to look it up. I think if that 
track had gone to a more successful pop artist at the time, it would have taken over. Everybody would know that song because I just think it's pop perfection. The video is a hot mess, really cheap CG effects. It's a total throwaway. Don't even look at it. Um, but my last moment on this song is I always imagined if I was going to be um, an American Idol type contestant that Damaged would be my signature performance and that it would start a cappella and then some sharp staccato beats would come in and then the beat would drop and it would just take over at the pre-chorus and I have it all mapped out. It's certainly a very it's a very emotional song. Yeah. And it's hilarious that it's given to whether were there five of them at the time. Yeah. Like five girls to handle. You yeah. know, as opposed to as opposed to one. But I, I love this song. I have a remix of this song. It's a really hot, uh, like a breakbeat remix of it. Um, P. Diddy is a little bit more prominently featured on it. I also remember their song uh Showstopper, of course, that, that was like their debut single. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't watch the TV show either, but I remember P Diddy also having another sort of slightly unsuccessful, uh, like kind of R and B esh uh, girl group called Dream. Yes, they were they were successful kind of right out of the gates, and then they seemed to lose steam. But I really did like uh, Dream. He loves you not. And this is me. Do you remember this is me? This is me, of yeah. course. I mean, I, I I thought that they were great, and I wish that we could have continued to expand on that idea. And I don't know what's going on with P Diddy. It's like he like invests in these groups and really puts, and then he kind of well, goes back and goes and does his own. But here's projects. part of the problem: is that like the meta moment? I mean, this is what happens with shows like with shows, frankly, like American Idol and other kinds of reality shows is that you're either looking for to really create a group or you're looking for good television. And those things are hard to mix together. So when you're looking to produce dramatic, interesting television and you're playing to a base audience where you think that all they're going to want are, you know, cat fights and bullshit, then, you know, you get a hot mess of a group that can't hold it together. Right. When the time comes to like really put it together in the studio and, and, and sync up, yeah. it falls apart. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, well, let's let's flip actually because I want to get to some other stuff that I know we want to do. I mean, on the flip side of that, a, a degree of uh, you know, not showing up any not showing any, you know, realness or vulnerabilities. Um you have Destiny's Child, mm-hmm. which we sort of mentioned earlier for a hot second with Beyoncé, but um, you know, they are so closed off from letting you know anything to a point that it's almost a little off-putting because there's no vulnerability and no openness. But it's also pop perfection and it's infectious and that group was everything. It's true. I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I waffle back and forth with the really? way that I feel about about Destiny's Child and about Beyonce in general. I, because it's difficult. It's difficult to feel connected. It's difficult when you don't feel that there. When you don't feel that level of like candor of vulnerability from from artists from groups from completely. You know, I can't. I feel that way too. I mean, that's why I think I have a hard time being a huge Beyonce fan the way I am with some other. Um, artists I love, but I think the group together of Destiny's Child, like, imb- uh, you know, put together all of the elements I love. It's, you know, good voices, great, you know, unison choreography, really modeled after, you know, those doo-wop groups, the Supremes, but taking it to the next level. Um, and I don't know, my, my song that I'm putting on the playlist is Lose My Breath, which was their reunion lead single. It 
did okay. Um, I mean, it was it was a hit, but it wasn't it wasn't their biggest hit. Um, but it was just the best. It, it, they were really known for those fast, um, quick fire patter lyrics. Songs. Yeah, the patter songs, and this had just enough of that. With also, um, you know, the girls sort of in the driver's seat, being a little bit in the aggressive aggressive mode. Um, so. I don't know. I just I, I love that song. It had also the um, that kind of choreography where everybody tries to you know rewind the video eight million times to learn it because it's it's just so fun and it's very gestural. So you can kind of put it together in your head. There was the part where you you know was sort of borrowing from you know from voguing. Oh. oh no, I was going to say borrowing from voguing. They have a little you know section where you're you know got the fake compact out and you're powdering your face. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole vibe. So I, I don't know. I loved it. The other thing about Destiny's Child too that I think is interesting comparing back to what we were talking about with the Supremes and sort of making yourself more um, amenable to white standards of beauty is how Beyonce, pr- partially because of her parents being you know the uh, leading the direction of the group, but also just because of her own talent probably. Who knows? Whatever. I was just more of a Kelly Rowland fan, but um, which I know you are too, Vic. Uh, but Beyonce was very much given sort of the the whiter treatment. She was always in sort of, you know, not always, but very often presented to us with dyed, you know, blondish or light brown hair, um, lighter, brighter makeup, lighter, brighter costumes, very non-threatening, whereas I felt like you always had Kelly and Michelle who were sort of – there's no way you could even sort of compete with the radiance of Beyonce. I mean it was – I think that's really interesting too and sort of mirrors the Diana Ross story. Yeah, it's tough. I I didn't always buy the the equality and the sort of like the girl like uh, friendship that they always tried to sell. And I know, I mean, I remember back in the day they were on uh, Star Search as mm-hmm. Girls Time, and you know, I, I think Kelly Rowland was a part of that original lineup, and I think uh, I think uh, Latoya was also a part of that original lineup. I always Latoya was always my favorite. I always thought she was so pretty. Of course, she and was. I was like, why don't they put this girl in the front more? Let her sing lead. But you know, you never. And it turns out she's had some she's had some decent singles as an R and B artist where she's singing lead. And it's like, oh, she can hold her own. So I always saw the arrangement of them as like this diamond with with Ms. Knowles in the front. And knowing what I know about the management and the family and the mom making the clothes and stuff, I did love the clothes. I love how they're they they got back to the TLC thing and the Supreme thing about coordinating their outfits they're they're tied together Thank but you, they're Tina. all individual right and i you, so you got to give it up so on the one hand you're like uh, like you've got a creative staff you've got uh, you're in your family you've got your your family managing you backing you up so it's like oh i, I can't hate them i don't i can't be mad at them for that you know what but I mean? they're not on your list but they're not really no they're not because I, I never really connected them in the way that i wanted to you know i do you want to talk about en vogue well, before we you know what go? you just read my mind i was going to say you know if we're not going to get excited about destiny's child i think the perfect way to wrap this up is to talk about en vogue because i know we agree about that mm-hmm. do you let, let's take it from the one that i know that you choose you chose which was never going to get it from yeah, my, divas my loving my loving <laughs> you're never going to get it so you won't be hearing us say And now it's time for a breakdown. Never gonna get it, 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 never gonna get it. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. 
Oh, the bridge that changed the world. The br- by the, oh, by the, way. the bridge that did. It's been used in a bajillion different things at this point. Um, but, you know, that song really captured En Vogue with the iconic harmonies. It, it really was the, the harmonies of an era for me um, with the bridge you're just talking about. Um, it was the first single right from their second album, Funky Divas, um, reached number two on the Hot 100. Uh, another fun fact contains a sample guitar riff from James Brown, the payback. Um, but really, the video is everything, honestly. I mean, I remember like doing crunches or something to this in a uh, dance class as a little kid, some BS warm up. Um, but, but really, the video was what was so great because you had all of these. Um, you know, male dancers in silhouette doing, you know, jazz pirouettes and layouts. And then the women are in the gorgeous silver with the um, arm Turner. gestures, yeah. very Tina. And but um, but still with the supreme vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're, you know, they have like, you know, probably six different wigs uh, throughout the video and they're all on point. And at one point they're even dancing with the ballet bar. Yeah. Um, a la, uh, hey, Big Spender. Yes. From from Fosse. Fosse. Full Sweet Charity. Yep. Right. Um so anyway, I just uh, – I thought that, uh, you know, that song really for me captured the the perfection that was En Vogue and really also, you know, not that I ever uh, ended up getting to do that kind of, you know, performing. But uh, seeing those men dance that way, that was inspirational for me and motivational. I mean I, I, I really idolized uh, that aesthetic, that image. That's interesting. I had – a similar revelation about male dancers dancing back up for female artists, but it was it was with Paula Abdul's artists, and but she was also another person that took a Fosse, yep, a Fosse motif and yep. reproduced it in her videos. And it's interesting that we both got inspired by Fosse motifs in music videos. And that says a lot too. Yeah. One other quick connection before we go to um, I think one of the tracks you want to talk about, which sure. I also. I'm obsessed with and mm-hmm. excited to talk about. But um, one fun uh, girl group back on track connection is that uh, En Vogue and the Pointer Sisters, granted 20 years apart, both emerged from Oakland, California. Big Kiki's shout out given to Oakland. A- Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> Kiki's given a little raise the roof for Oakland. Um, so anyway, I thought that was a fun fact. But go, give me your En Vogue. Yeah, well, that, I just want to say that, that that song and that uh, that breakdown really just solidified, sealed in cement their spot in history. Um, and that also the James Brown uh, sample is like – at that time, James Brown was the most sampled artist like on the scene. They were taking all of his instrumental riffs and, and uh, funky drummer beats and things like that and turning them into songs. Um, so I think that's really uh, – we have to take a moment to just acknowledge that. But yeah, um, the track that I had from that album as well was called Free Your Mind. Sort of like an answer to Janet Jackson's Black Cat in terms of like putting like a rip roaring guitar over a hot, like cowbell and like an R&B beat, and they're screaming and they're you know they're walking down the runway and um and the uh, God who was the the video director the same one that directed Rain um, oh oh my gosh Kyle please look this up Mark Romanek. Oh, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yes. And so, yeah, very much in the same style of George Michael's Too Funky video, which I always throw back to. Absolutely. Like walking down the runway in Hokator, you know, and there are these metal uh, leather versions of themselves. And, you know, Maxine is screaming 
you know, and it's just like they embody the rage and the uh, the empowerment against, you know, prejudice. Wrote a song about it. Like, here, here goes, you know. <laughs> and there you have it. You know, I, the other thing is uh, I love that moment in time when you were able to be unabashedly political, mm-hmm. um, you know, and not in a way that was um, – it wasn't like it was taking away from the art or the music. But you were able to infuse um, your, your work with some social messages that I think – made it just uh, really important for people. It, it, it made it not just about sex and, you know, romantic relationships, which are lovely and important, but so much of our music centers on just those one-on-one human interactions because it feels like the safest place to go mm-hmm. um, to really talk about social justice issues is um, asking for trouble. Yeah. And um, I love that they were able to to really go there and win, yeah. Well, a lot of time in our fo- focus group world that we have right now, commenting on social justice, about human rights, about politics and things like that, it, it throws up a red flag like, oh, this might not sell as much as like another booty dance song would do. But I feel like in that day, at least from my perspective, it felt like a time where we were very conscious of those types of things and used to hearing about them. We we're always being told to vote. You know what I'm saying? Speak out. Safe sex. Salt and Pepper talking about let's talk about sex. You know, it was like let's let's put the issues on the table back then and it didn't feel like as much of a of a caution zone as it is now in today's sort of like scream as loud as you can. And you got to be excited about caring about other people. Like it, it allowed you, you know, to be excited and um, pumped up about, you know, fighting prejudice. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Fighting prejudice with the power of music and thigh high leather boots, honey. And I've been doing it since 2000 and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the best note we could end on. I mean, thigh highs and fighting prejudice. That sounds like a girl group to me. I'm good for a button, honey. <laughs> All right. Well, this was so much fun. Until next time. We'll see you around. Mwah. If you like our show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are hot. And if you really like our show, we'd love a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter at Back on Track Show, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and all of your favorite ways of time. <laughs> we love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and check out all of our Mix A playlists. And if you're outraged that your favorite track didn't make the list, visit us at www.backontrackshow.com and let us have it. You know, we'll tell you what we think, honey. All right, we're done. Peace.